I'm Piercy Janewell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Daryl Alfonso. Daryl is the Global Marketing Operation Manager at Amazon Web Services, AWS, where he empowers hundreds of marketers to create exceptional digital experiences. Daryl's an award-winning marketer, a two-time Marketo champion, and someone who has experience on both the client and consulting side of things. And uh, we're super excited to have you on today, Daryl. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Pierce. Thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, I've been I've been listening to every episode that you've been doing, <laughs> and it's been it's it's uh, I learn a lot, and also I think that you and I know some of the uh, some of the same same people, and um, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't have picked a better guest lineup. So I'm honored <laughs> to be part of thank part you. Of this. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah, we were just chatting about. Melissa McCready before we came on here. And you know what? Something crazy, Daryl. I was I like to go on people's LinkedIn profiles before I do this. Mm-hmm. And you and I have 453 <laughs> mutual connections. So either we know a lot of the same people or you just know everybody. I don't, I'm not sure which one it is. You know, or maybe, maybe, you know, when you looked at someone someone's profile and um on the right it says people like this or like people you also may want to connect with maybe we're partners in that sense Uh, whenever they look at you it shows me and whenever they look at me it shows you i I had to i did a major double take because i'm like sometimes you know it'll be like 50 or something (laughs) but this was just crazy so i think it shows you know the tight-knit Marketo community and probably a lot of that stuff there but definitely cool I I had a question for you like what Mm. what would you say is the biggest kind of mindset shift from kind of your pre-Amazon days to after mind shift shift yeah um you know, I there's a lot to unpack in that question um, because not only is it Amazon a mega enterprise, but we also have a peculiar culture. We call it, mm-hmm. and so many things are different. You know, for example, you might have heard we don't use PowerPoint, and and each meeting we start with everyone reads a six page document in silence for about yep. 15, 20 minutes. So so there's parts of the culture that are just so different that um, I think that, that that's a big shift. But, but I think the generally what I saw from moving from midsize to, to mega enterprise was the importance of internal, internal selling um, and change management is I would say 30 to 40% of your job here, um, mm-hmm. whereas it might be 10, 10 to 25% at, at another company. Um, and then the importance of, and I learned this the hard way, the importance of project management skills um, is really paramount here. So it's project management and program management. Project management is the way I think about it. Um, you know, delivering and executing on a project when you're working with cross-functional teams. 
And then program management is a collection of those related projects in service of a larger initiative. So marketing automation, for example, for us is a, is a program, uh, a whole program. And then the different things that you do, database health, nurture, um, you know, reporting, those are all projects in service of the bigger program. Gotcha. And yeah, I, I've heard about these meetings and how you, you know, you guys have a very different meeting structure. So that happens for every meeting, like no matter what, or is this kind of the bigger meetings you would write that brief and everyone reads it? Um, it happens very often to the point where, you know, you're going to be in multiple a week. I will definitely yep. say, um, of course you can, I can grab 30 minutes with my boss or I can put right. together a brainstorming meeting with, uh, with our, our immediate team. Um, but, uh, whenever there's, you know, if you think about whenever there's a problem and mm -hmm. there's, uh, recommendations, um, or if there's an update or some sort of plan involved, it's always going to be in the document format and, mm -hmm. um, definitely weird at first, but so I just think eye opening and so tough on people that don't have their thoughts well articulated and well thought out. Um, yeah. You know, so many times, and I've seen this, I've, I've seen this and I've seen this so often where you, um, you know, people put together PowerPoints to show their plan. And a lot of it's just graphics, you know, right. buzzwords, and then, you know, hockey stick like graphs that show what, what it is, but, but there's no data. Right. Um, there's no, there's no data. There's no, um, you know, supporting evidence. And it's more of a sales presentation. And, and that's not bad. You know, I, th yeah. I think proposals and plans usually do need to be persuasive and compelling. Um, but there's no room for, there's no wiggle room on a, you know, text document, you know, right. there's no, there's no right. way that you can pretty that up. It's, it's right. all rational, logical. And, um, you know, the, the most important thing that I think that I share about the problem is you're supposed to create it in a way that all the decision makers have all the same information, mm. you know, but you can actually do productive collaboration um, and planning and recommendations. Because if you think about normal PowerPoint meetings where someone's making a plan, the, the, the presenter is the one with all the information and they're choosing and selecting what to tell you yeah. and what, to, what not to. But if everyone has the information up front and we're required to re read it through silently for 15 and 20 minutes, the, the meeting automatically starts to be it, it, like by default is more productive because you're not yeah. asking all those you know, questions that the presenter is hiding and everything like that. Right. So, um, right. That, that, that's a little bit more on, on why it's so, it's so effective. I don't think it's going to work for everybody, but at yeah. Amazon, you know, it, it's, it's, that's the rule and, and we all, all follow that. It's been interesting. <laughs> Do you feel like the meetings are a lot more effective as a result? Like, are they a lot more efficient? Um, I think, I definitely think so because you cut out a lot of the, you know, non-important questions that people just ask, right. like, 
well, what did we do last year? Or, well, what about this? And what about that? You know, you're supposed to have already thought through all of those questions and provide supporting data. So, so each six-page document also has an appendix. Appendixes, uh, appendices are unlimited. So you can have as much tables and graphs and charts in the appendix as you want, and they're all referenceable. Um, so people are, are often going back, looking through the data, and everyone has that. So, you know, so, so what I think that you'll find is that you sk skip over the, wait, can you go back? Can you cover this again? Can you say this again? Because it's all there and no one is allowed to breeze through it or skip through it. So in that sense, it's automatically more productive. I think that when you work with disparate groups with different goals, you know, there's some things that you can't avoid, right? Um, right. You can't avoid the, 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 the debates over what's more important. You can't go over, you know, um, around what the real problem is. Those are natural debates. And I think those are productive debates. Um, you know, so, so that's going to be a, a very similar, but, um, it, in regards to the, the things that don't contribute value to meetings, a lot of that goes away. That's so cool. Yeah. I think, and I'm sure the listeners can, uh, relate to this being in a lot of meetings that are feel completely useless. I feel like that would really eliminate a lot of that and force the meeting to have a purpose uh, and, a, and an outcome that you want to get to. How, when you're operating in that environment, like how do you write that first brief? Are, is there training to get to, to kind of, or examples that you see, or is it just like you go to a few meetings and see how other people do it and you try and learn from that? There's 100% training, um, yeah. and you know there's an entire um, and you know big surprise. It's written. <laughs> yeah. there's, uh, uh, there's 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 guidelines and tons and tons of resources on on best practices. Um, but to be honest, to be honest, most of it is actually just good writing and right. good business writing, and that's the that's the key thing um, because there are some templates, and you know I would say let's say there's a problem. A document would look like, well, here's the purpose of the document. Here's the background of the document. Here are the challenges that we see. Here are the recommendations. Um, and here are the, like, the, the other alternatives that we've thought about. And then here's the appendix. So that's a, 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 a normal structure. Um, and you know, not, not too much different than your, your business report or like a case study for school or something like that. Um, but, but where you really get good is just cutting out all the crap from your writing, mm -hmm. all the buzzwords yeah. from your writing, all the fluffy stuff from your writing, and you know, really asking your, yourself hard questions of how do we know? You know, if I yeah. if I if I say that, you know, our, our marketing's more effective in this region and on this channel, the question everybody's at that you ask yourself is, well, how do you know that? Do you definitively mm -hmm. know that? Do you in a statistically yeah. significant way do you know that? And that's that's why I think people think Amazon is is hard and historically has had a little bit of a bad perception um, and, and where people are 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 tough. But I think it's more of direct. People are very direct mm. and they ask the tough questions. And if yeah. you if you're good, if you know your homework, and if you're open to saying, well, I messed up, then I think that that Amazon is a great place. 
Now, if you're used to subjective opinion, just crafting mm. compelling stories and coming up with good ideas, but having little support and little, little to, to, to back you up on it, and you're not really open to changing your mind, um, it can be a very tough place. And, yeah. and I've, seen, I've seen documents get torn apart. Um, and uh, I, I think that that's yeah. just how it is. But if you're open to it, you become a much better professional in general. And, and, and yeah. I really like that part about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that constructive conflict in meetings is a good thing to have, right? Like, um, and it, yeah, for sure, it can feel a bit awkward at first but it's a good thing to get to the kind of the root of those issues and have those discussions. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm sure like everyone, I've read a lot about Amazon and how you guys really put the customer at the center of everything that you do. How would you say that that culture has changed how you look at, at marketing? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. There are some things where I prided myself on doing in the past, which is looking at bottom of the funnel, hard metrics only, and being really ruthless about it. And that can be a real advantage, especially I think when you're thinking about startups or maybe mid-sized enterprise and where you're looking for growth, um, doing everything to try to pull up the key business numbers um, is, is something that I was all about. Um, when, I, when, I, when I got to Amazon, those are important, but it's not at the expense of the customer and not at the expense mm -hmm. of their experience. Um, and that was an eye-opener for me um, and, a, and a shift that I needed to make. So let's say, for example, in a typical business, if you have a program or a nurture program that, you know, for some reason is, is causing a lot of unsubscribe rate, a lot of unsubscribes or higher than normal. Yeah. However, it's driving a lot of business, driving a lot of sales and a lot of conversions. For me, that would be a win. And I didn't really care. I was like, well, you know. Yeah. unsubscribe they don't like it so they don't have to receive it anymore <laughs> unsubscribe the name of the podcast um, <laughs> and, but here the customer is at the center and it drives everything that we do and no one will allow for that drop in experience to to make that trade-off with business results um and that, that I think was a big one for me because I started to think about all of the things that could make a customer experience better. And the things that I thought were often in the past wastes of time, like there could be more productive or revenue generating things that I could do. At Amazon, it's different. We think about all the different parts. We think about their preference center, how often they receive emails, what types of emails do they receive? Is, it, is their experience getting better or is it getting worse? Um, and if it's not getting better, the things that we need to do to implement to get to where we want it to be become really high priority, um, whereas in another place it wouldn't. Now, that doesn't work for yeah. everybody, but that's, that, that I think is unique to Amazon, and, and a, lot of, a lot of organizations can learn from that, I think, um, yeah. because in the long term, um, they are your customers, and, and, um, 
um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's definitely a lot more than, than them, you know, buying something. For sure. Oh, I love that so much. Like, and I think in business that it, I think that is one of the hardest things, right. To kind of not base your decision sometimes on the numbers and revenue, right. And instead look at, Hey, what can we do for our customers to make it better for them? And I find if you do that, the revenue will come, but it doesn't always show that in the numbers. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, you guys have done such an amazing job at that. And something we like to try and do at NAC and, it, and it's always, you know, can be they're always sometimes at odds where it's like yeah you you make this decision you might make more revenue but you're you there's always a cost to everything right and so trying to put the customer first and in my experience that's always led to more growth down the road um so i love that so i saw again uh, doing a bit of LinkedIn research, you guys have hundreds of marketers on your team, I would imagine, probably one of the biggest marketing operations team in the world. What, you know, going on to that team, what have you learned about running marketing operations at scale? Yeah, that's a good one. Um... I think that, first of all, our marketing operations, when you traditionally think about it, our central marketing operations team isn't, isn't so big. It's more of like 10 people. I think that across the world, you have campaign operations that's a lot bigger. Um, and, in, and in some organizations, they're merged, right? Where marketing ops um, um, has uh, um, marketing platforms, campaign operations, maybe marketing, reporting, um, business intelligence, and all of those are sort of one, one large group. And if you, if you combine all of them together, it's, it is several hundred. Um, and I think user-wise, we have, we have the most users uh, of any other market of, any other market of customer. Um, but but uh, when you think of Marketo admin, so to speak, um, which is a nice way to put it, or the platform admin, th there's only 10 of us or so. Um, I think there's two things that I like to think about. One is, you know, of all of the different things that we could be working on, which are the most important um, and what are going to have the most impact for both the business and, and the customer is, is one thing. And I, 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 I do a lot of thought as to marketing prioritization and how to, how to prioritize the things that you're working on. And then the other thing, the, the other side of this is um, around empowerment and around training. So, and, and training is the piece that is near and dear to my heart um, because I really think that Marketo is a fantastic platform where you can, you know, um, really build campaigns that the way that you want them to build. And construct customer engagements um, in a way that's really thoughtful and automated. And if you, if our users know the basics, 
have the base level knowledge of the advanced um, features and are empowered to create the digital experiences that they want to create, I think that that is overall beneficial for both the customers and our marketers. Um, so it's those two ways that I think about marketing operations at scale. One is the prioritization, and then the other piece is the training and enablement. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so you've got the 10 kind of centralized people, and then a lot of the campaign uh, users in Marketo across the world, and you guys are empowering and training them. What, what tips would you have for other companies who are looking to empower and train people who might not know Marketo? Like, can you give people a sense of what that looks like at Amazon and, and how as that centralized team, you look to empower your users? Yeah, I, you know, Picking your talent is, I think, the, you know, first step or even like pre-step that, that you want to do when you're thinking about creating great marketing operations. Um, because if you're selecting talent that has maybe seen multiple Marketo instances before, maybe they've have, had uh, experience with other, other maps um, and even have, you know, run marketing at other organizations, that experience and sort of shortening of the ramp up time can really be beneficial, I think, for whether you're thinking about being the admin or from campaign operations. You know, I think our, the people that build campaigns at AWS, um, you know, have, exper have experienced leading marketing at, at, at multiple organizations. So I, I think that picking the talent is, is a big piece. We, all, we also require the 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 most elite level of email marketer to be a marketo certified expert so that certification definitely carries weight um, inside and outside of amazon um, so that selection of the talent i think is 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 a really uh, is a really key thing when it comes to training the way that i like to think about training is how can we create learning experiences in as many modules or modalities as possible so that different types of people all around the world can learn and um, get the skills they need to, to, to do great marketing. Um, for example, the training that we've built includes a library of 30, if, have you ever seen uh, Joe Wright's Marketo Foo <laughs> on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. We have an AWS version. Um, where he has videos, I have videos. So you have, you have on-demand training and a training library. We have um, um, what we call KNET courses. These are self-service courses where you go through and they, they, they're complete with quizzes. Um, we do monthly webinar sessions to share best practices. And of course, probably one of the largest Marketo internal wikis um, you know, I would bet out of any organization, you know, it's, it's large and, and, and tons and tons of pages. So all of those different modalities are different ways to learn. And I find that that's really helpful because people learn differently, especially when you think about um, um, other uh, cultures, like internationally, right? So yeah. whereas I'm training someone, um, 
that maybe is not English as a native speaker, as a first language, um, they might be able to actually read and understand things more from a guide or from, you know, a, a clear documentation versus me telling it to them or explaining it to them. So I think that that those that variety of modalities is a key to how we, we, we try to train people and, and how we get them to up to speed as fast as possible. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Lots to unpack there. So it sounds like the campaign operations people that you do hire, you do look for marketing automation as some kind of experience that they've had before. Preferably. Preferably. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 so think, they- I think that that there's, so there's over 175 different products and services that AWS has. And mm-hmm. each of those, um, well, at least groups of those have different teams and different marketers that work yeah. for them. Um, so each, I would say each group is a little bit different in what specifically they're looking for. Some may look for a little bit more technical expertise or a little bit more branding expertise. But if they're going to use Marketo, um, we try to advocate for that as much as possible. Like if you can get a Marketo certified expert already, that's going to be a great help for your team <laughs> if they're already mm-hmm. an expert. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely helps. Um, so every year, Daryl, somebody says email is dead. Uh, what do you think? Is email dead? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no, it's it's not it's not dead. I don't like I don't like whenever they say something is dead. I mean, uh, you know, you being in marketing for a long time, Pierce, I'm sure you know that that the calling some sort of channel or tactic dead is a provocative, controversial, attention-getting tactic to bring yeah. attention to whatever you they want you want to bring attention to. I don't know if anything. Gosh, I thought I thought voicemail was dead for a long time, for several years, it, it, and phone calling was dead. Obviously, it's alive and well. There are, you know, companies that are still making money off of that. Um, so, so in terms of the, that whole um, sort of notion that, that things are dead in general, I, I definitely don't like. I, I, think that, I think that for email, what's definitely happening is you definitely have this transition to a more enforceable permission-based model and consent model because of GDPR and a lot of other countries are following. You see, you see that, and there are, you know, um, there are uh, uh, companies. You know, I can't, I, I, I can't speak the names, but but there are marketing organizations and large brands that are are now starting to move to opt-in only. Um, you know, across the world. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's yeah. in the U.S., it's still legal to send to people that haven't necessarily opted in. But that shift toward, you know, the customer being the center and customer preference above all, um, I love that. And, um, you know, one of our, one of our tenets of, of marketing is education. So we try to educate people about how they can use um, um, cloud computing to power their business and to build the things that they want to service their own customers. And that's sort of the center of our marketing. And, and um, you know, uh, the people that open our emails are, are, and receive our emails are people that want to learn. And, and we always, we always want to keep it that way. I think that, that you're, you're definitely going to see that slow deterioration 
of list purchases if they're still happening um, and and cold email is is definitely uh, I see happening there. And then to gain more permission and to get that opt-in, I think that there's going to be a, vi- a big investment in content and in value and in personalization. Um, super cool things that I've been seeing um, these days around around real-time personalization of email, um, recommendations, especially from the B2C side. Um, I think the recommendations are mind-boggling at how perfectly they can get, um, they can, they can recommend something to you in your inbox. Um, and that yeah. is, I think the direction that, that everyone's moving in and B2B will get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think so too. I think that all these regulations are actually a good thing for, you know, good email marketers that makes it better for us. And, I think for the recipients to getting things that they want to get will lift uh, performance and engagement for everybody. So I would love it if nobody tries to sell me an email list again. Like how many less emails that I have in my inbox if that was the case. (laughs) But yeah, I I like where things are going there. And yeah, you know, I've seen some pretty good examples of personalization i got a peloton uh in october and i've been so impressed with their marketing what they do and uh just right around new year's they sent out this thing that was like hey uh take a look at your year in review and they they had a way to create a personalized video of like how much you rode and how far you went and who your favorite instructor was. Wow. And I I sent it to my team just as an example of like, hey, this is really cool marketing that they're doing with this video. And someone on our team bought a bike because of it. So it's like, well, that works pretty well. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that's fantastic marketing, you know, and, 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 Here's, here's another great example. And this is, you know, I, I'm talking about Amazon retail, um, who I don't work with, but, but yeah. you know, um, Amazon, for example, knows that I'm a, fl- a fan of Ready Player One, you know, the, the sci-fi yeah. book and, and the movie. Yeah. And as great soon movie. as Ready Player Two became available, you know, to read and it was, and it was published, I got an email. And the feeling that you get from that type of experience is take my money now. You know, yes. whatever, yeah. whatever you have, like I'm going, I'm willing to, and Apple's very similar, right? As soon as something's ready, um, people want it. And it, it, it's, 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 you would get mad if you didn't get that email. You know, if I found out right. that Ready Player Two was available two months later, I'd be like, what the hell? You know, yeah. no one told yeah. me. And that, yeah, exactly. you know, while, it, you, while you can't create that sort of email experience every time. I think it's it's something to shoot for, and that will make for sure. make, make it better. You know where they want yeah. to receive it, where they need to receive it, where they want to see what you're talking about. Um, I think that's Absolutely. all. All marketers can can try to learn to strive for that. I got one, and this is this is probably like four or five years ago from Amazon, but I was looking at some headphones similar to these, but 
you know, the previous version. And I, I guess Amazon knew that I was looking at them and I got an email saying, hey, the price just dropped on those headphones. And I was like, yeah, to your point, how do I not buy them? Like what retailer <laughs> is telling you, hey, it's the thing you want's cheaper now. You This exact thing, not like a general sale, but the thing that you want isn't on sale. Um, no, I thought that was really cool too. So uh, I, I just had a personal question I wanted to ask you, Daryl, like, how did you grow your following on Twitter to the point that you did now? And I saw also that you're, you know, you're doing a lot of speaking. Like, how did you get into that? And what tips do you have for people? Yeah, that's a good question. So this may, this may come as a surprise. I don't know. Maybe this may come as a surprise to some folks. But growing a following is only 50% content. There's actually a bunch of other stuff that you have to do around community building and then just overall engaging with a network that I think goes unnoticed. Um, I think that at least 50% is the is the content and consistency piece where you just have to do it most of the time. And I think I think most people can sort of agree with that. It's hard to yeah. produce content regularly um, mm -hmm. it, for, for anyone. And it, and it needs to become a habit. So if that's the only thing that you do, um, if you're looking to grow your social network, I would say invest in that. Now, if you're looking to sort of supercharge what you're doing and get you know a lot more engagement um, and, 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 then, and, and, then, and then just a, a following in general, um, you have to do a lot of community building things. Um, and I'll give you some examples. Um, you have to engage on other people's content. So, you know, let's say, um, you know, you post something, Pierce, or someone else in my network does, you know, commenting on it, liking it, offering up your thoughts in a helpful way. Um, that's also a, a big piece of it. I also talk mm -hmm. to a lot of people um, offline and I engage with them off, uh, offline, uh, not offline, in private. So um, yeah. through, the, through the direct message on LinkedIn, I'll get, I'll get a number of messages where someone says, you know, hey, I'd love some advice on this. I'd love to hop on the phone with you. I try not to do that as much just because yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, it, it, it's, it's so much, so much time. Um, but at least giving giving advice through those you know DMs and, and private messages that also um, I think works into your overall growing growing of your network. Um, and then the speaker the speaker thing is something that that um, you know for me I've always liked doing, um, but this year I think is the only one where I didn't have to apply. Um, and I think it's because mm. of. Um, you know, before I would always apply to speak at MarTech or apply to speak at Adobe Summit, Marketo Summit, and you have to, you know, some people do like several submissions, you know, just to try to get, right. get their name in the hat, yeah. you know, and, and I did that too. Um, but um, I think that I fortunately, um, because of the articles that I'm writing and, and the posts that I'm writing, have garnered a, a good amount of intention and engagement, um, I get invited 
to speak. And, and, and I, I, I like that. And I didn't anticipate that. Um, so, so for those, I think for those folks that are maybe struggling to, to book speaking events, um, and, you know, uh, getting up on stage at some of these, some of these bigger conferences, um, I think that you should definitely work that into the mix. Um, um, trying yeah. to grow your, your, your personal brand. Um, so that when people maybe look at your LinkedIn or your Twitter, they go, wow, this is, this is a great speaker that we want to have on stage. Um, and if anything, you know, it'll help raise the, the visibility on, on our event in general. Um, so I think I, I didn't tell them to pick me, but I think that it has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> and I, I think you really nailed it in the sense that it's not, it, it's give and take, like from what I'm hearing from you, you're not just out there, you know, wanting more followers you are at, you are using it as a network where you're giving back to other people and giving them something of value whether it's like feedback on their blog or through your content which uh, I've seen is is really great so that's awesome um so you sound like a pretty busy guy uh, we're all about work-life balance here at NAC. So outside of growing your network uh, and, you know, taking over the world at operations at AWS, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Um, I play video games sometimes. I love the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> nice. Um, here, you know, what's, what's interesting? And this is, I don't know if you'll hear this a lot, but um, my, one of my hobbies, and this is maybe conflicting to what, you're, what, you, what you just said, but one of my hobbies is professional development. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know if that makes me weird. I don't know how many people also share that, um, but I found that to be true about me where I do enjoy my work, but one of the things that I just love doing is either taking classes, writing articles, creating different types of content pieces for LinkedIn. That to me is fun and it's not work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah while, it, sure. while it seems to on the outside that maybe I'm working maybe a, a lot more than I should, for me, it doesn't feel that way. And I, I think at Amazon, Jeff Bezos actually coined this, he said work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know if I have, have the exact work-life harmony down. You know, I think that maybe I would spend all my time at, at AWS stuff. Um, but, but I do find that, that the things that I work on, they do connect and they do yeah. amplify each other. And it's not like I'm putting in 60, 70, 80 hours. It's actually, after I'm done with work, I start on a hobby which could be writing right. or speaking or something yeah. like that. And for me, it, it would, it's almost the same as maybe someone else would go to the golf course or, you know, would talk about sports or something. Um, for yeah, me, yeah, it, it's yeah. personal development. So I don't know if, if that's, uh, you know, uh, unique to me. Maybe other people share the same thing. Um, but I find that that's, that's true about me. And um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, once I kind of accepted that, I found that it, it, it was much fun and it, and it made building a social network a, a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, I feel like I'm a little bit in the same boat as you there. I definitely, like, I love what I do and mm -hmm. I'm 
super passionate about what I do every day at work. So it doesn't feel like work. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's really, if, if everyone can find that, right, where they're doing what they love, um, I, I feel like it's fine to spend a lot of time doing that if, if you get, you know, meaning and uh, meaning out of it. Um, that's I think, awesome. I think um, you, you've probably heard of this, but I think energy is, is a nice way to think about it. You know, yeah. what, what gives you energy and what takes it away. And mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm working until eight, like maybe after dinner, I go back to the computer to pound out an article, but I feel fulfilled and, you know, in a great mood afterward, um, almost to, you know, like I played, a, played sports or something. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a negative. It's, yeah. it's, it's a positive. Um, yeah, yeah. and you know, there, it's great that you and me and, and, and many others have found that, that fit with work, um, mm -hmm. or it's not something that you dread. And if there's anyone out there that, that, you know, dreads turning on their computer, um, that's, that I think is when, where you need to make some changes. Um, yeah. you know, um, yeah, that's how I think about it. yeah, I love that. And that can be hard. I've definitely been in jobs that I dreaded putting, turning my computer on and where it was like, <laughs> you know, oh, but it's, you know, if I want to do something different, then I got to get a new job and make changes in my life. But it's so worth doing that, right? As opposed to just continuing to do the same thing. I, was, I worked at like a huge software company and I just complained about it all the time. And then I was like, why am I complaining? I'm not changing anything, putting that energy towards finding that thing that you are passionate about. Um, what, uh, so who's one person that you admire in the business community and why? Hmm. How am I following right now? Um I I I like to read a lot. Um I'll share two books that I read and I love the authors. Um one is this book called The Messy Middle. And it's by the, uh, I think, um, so it's by Scott Belsky. And he is the, I think, chief product officer at Adobe. Um, and I love the book, The Messy Middle, because it's all about the grind and about how at the beginning, everything is awesome of any project or venture. And at the end, it's awesome, especially if you win. But no one talks about the middle. And how messy it yeah. is and how you have to fire people, how you are worried about going out of business, how people hate your ideas. And for me, that, that resonates with me because I'm rolling out a change initiative um, at work and people aren't that happy about it. And I right. have to have very hard conversations every day. Um, so the messy middle I find is, is very relatable and um, inspiring. Um, 
so that so that's a really good one. And then um, the former um, um, lead design, like chief design officer at Facebook, um, making a making a, a manager. I think it's called her name is Julie Zhao. Yeah, Julie. The book is called The Making of a Manager, and then her name is Julie Zhao, um, but she was the chief design officer at Facebook, and her ideas and the reality of management and of having direct reports and managing a team are so right on and so eye-opening compared to the normal, I think, fuzzy management knowledge that's out there right now. You know, you know, how do you talk about the hard things? Like, what if someone you manage is older than you? What if they know more mm. than you? What yeah. if what if they're smarter than you? You know, and they yeah, look at yeah. you as some junior, right? Those are the real hard questions of real life. Um, and, and what happens? How do you tell someone that that they're not getting a raise? Right. So 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 you know, uh, I think that that um, it's books like that that I've been fascinated with, where they tell things as they really are. Um, and and you'd, think that, you'd think that you'd find those things sort of depressing. I find it very, very inspiring because it shows you that, yeah, people, successful people out there have gone through all this crap, the same crap that you're going through, and they came out the other side and they found ways to deal with it. And I think that that's really inspiring. Awesome. Two great book uh, suggestions there for everyone. I'm going to look those up. Uh, last one, Daryl, who else should we have on the unsubscribe podcast? Who else should you have? Um, maybe Helen <laughs> Abranova. I, I was good at her last Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love her. She's fantastic. Um, who else? Um, Christina and Charlie Saunders um, from the Marketo community. They have their own firm. Um, I'm loving the content that they're putting out right now. Um, those, those, awesome. those, pe- those people are fantastic. Um, maybe start there. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to reach out to them. Um, well, Daryl, this is an awesome uh, podcast here. We, we covered a lot of topics. Um, I loved kind of hearing more about how you have meetings at Amazon and how those, the format you do it really makes things more effective, more effective use of your time. Super interesting to hear how you scaled out your marketing operations team with hundreds of marketers, the largest Marketo instance in the world in terms of number of users. Uh, as I, as always, love talking about email. Uh, we could probably have a whole separate podcast just on that, but also hearing about how you uh, built your personal brand by really giving back um, and producing amazing content. And then I think here at the end, just hearing some great book ideas and learning about how you can be passionate about your job. And if you find that passion, then it, it should never really feel like work. So want to thank you so much for, for being on today, Daryl, and uh, hope we 
hope we can see each other again soon at uh, an event when they finally come back. Totally, totally. Thanks for having me on, Pierce. And thanks for all the great work you do. Keep it up. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.